Welcome to another episode of iFanboys Talksplode. I am Josh Flanagan from iFanboy.com, and today we are talking to Joe Casey, writer of so many titles, including Godland, Nixon's Pals, Charlotte Ball, Crash Bastards, Velocity, Zen from Devil's Do, and World War Robot from IDW, and probably several others that were just announced. I talked with Joe for a good long while about working in comics and all sorts of other stuff, so let's get right to it. I've got posters on the wall. I've got Ace Freely. I've got Peter Chris waiting there for me. I am here with Joe Casey and uh, say hi to everyone. Yes, you are. There it is. Oh, I'm, no, down a few, I'm, I'm down a few edibles. I got Exile on Main Street cranking in the back, and I'm ready for this thing. <laughs> Apparently, I, I'm the only one for my fanboy who could stand to be here tonight. Uh, everyone bailed on me. Yeah, typical. It's I, I think it's your your intimidation factor. If they've seen sure. you too much, and uh, is horrible. I'll buy that. All right, whatever. They didn't want to talk to you or mean to them last time. Just wait till next San Diego. That's all I have to say. <laughs> we planned this out way way ahead of time. Torture those guys. Ask me something. Come on. I man. will ask you something. I I want a little bit of context. So. What were the what were the comics that you really like? Sort of started out and grew up reading. The comics that I grew up like. What, reading. Were, the, what were the ones that that really first started to make an impact on you when you were like, "Wow, I really really like comics." Probably Marvel comics in the late seventies. Those are the first ones I read and really followed. The Avengers and Iron Man, Captain America. Those kind of the classic Marvel heroes because uh, they were good. You know, you had. Uh, George Perez drawing the Avengers. You had John Byrne, you know, drawing the X Men. I mean, it's stuff that even now people look back and say that stuff was good, and that just happened to be the stuff that I grew up on. So, yay for me, right? Yeah. Well, who was like the team back then? Who was the team? Like, like who, like who was the Avengers team back then? Is that like? Oh, the Avengers. Said, well, we're talking about uh, issue wise, you know, between one fifty and two hundred, which is to me sort of the glory years. So we're talking about, you know, Captain America, Iron Man, Vision and Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, the Beast, that's, Wonder Man, you know, the Wasp, those, those, those guys. That's, that's heartwarming. Just to hear that lineup, I, I made me, I'm not, I'm not a nostalgic person, but I hear those, that sort of lineup, I'm like, that's right. It reminds it's, me of the little paper yeah. bag full of old comics that I had, that someone was like, we found these, do you want them? And that's when I started reading, like, The Avengers. Just the Beast and the Avengers is enough to make me cry, you know. <laughs> um, what like now? Now going forward from there, though, like were those the comics that were the most formative for you? Where you say, like, I mean, I've seen you reference a lot of like the sort of '80s indie stuff that when when Miller uh, actually that's not indie, but Miller stuff, and then Howard Jakin and all that stuff. Were those the ones that was that stuff that really impacted you? Yeah, there's sort of two phases. There's the phase of you're reading them because comics are cool and you're a dumb kid and you you know the, you like the flash and the spectacle and the guys in their colorful outfits, you know. And then as I got a little bit older and you start to, uh, you know, see what else is out there. And also, this is also, uh, I'm, I was of that age where, like the minute that I realized that comics were something that I was really into and wanted to find out more about and read more and see what else was out there, right at that moment, the direct market sort of happened, and these specialty comic book stores started to pop up. So it was, it was just the right age 
you know, I mean, I, I think of maybe a lot of people in my generation can sort of chart this path that always kept us in comics. I mean, had, had I been a few years earlier, uh, and, uh, you know, just when I was looking for something more than the Avengers and Captain America and just superhero comics, basically, from Marvel or DC, mainly Marvel, had I been a little bit older and there had been no direct market, I, I wouldn't have known where to go. I wouldn't have had a place to go. These independent companies wouldn't have, have cropped up, and I would have probably let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was the perfect age for me to you know, find these other books like you know, Nexus, American Flag, uh, Cerebus, Love and Rockets, all those things were, were happening in the early 80s. And uh, just perfect for like a pre-teenager who maybe had outgrown some of the, you know, superhero stuff, but still had a foot in that world, but was looking for something bigger. So, so that charted that course. And then, funny enough, just a few years later, when I might have, you know, given up on superheroes entirely, uh, you had things like Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, uh, you know, th- those books that kind of had that more mature outlook on superheroes that sort of then kept me in. You know, by that time I was, I was done. That was I figured this is going to be a part of my life forever. You know, have you been reading comics straight through? Did you not ever take a break? I've never taken a break, as far as I know. I can't remember. Might have been a couple of months in the early '90s where I was too stoned to get to the comic store. But uh, there's never, there's no period where I, you know, was just just. Totally tuned out. There were periods where I felt like I wanted to. I, I mean, the early '90s is a good example. I mean, I, I was I was kind of ready to bail, um, and the comic that sort of kept me interested was uh, "Hate" by Peter Bag. So I, I started reading that, and I was like, "Well, this is a different side of of uh, the medium that I hadn't really explored before." That sort of alterna comics kind of side of it, and. And that kept me going. And then, you know, it, it was enough that I was still around when things like Starman started mm-hmm. and, you know, Sandman Mystery Theater. So there was just enough stuff that came around just at the right time for me that, that kept me hooked in. And you, know? you, you started working pretty soon after that. I mean... Uh, yeah, 97, I think. 97. That's my first year. Yeah. Now, tell... Tell us, tell the tell the listeners at home. I mean, how how did that how did that start off for you? Because I mean, as, as, as I understand it, um, if I remember correctly, you you knew James Robinson through like hanging out at a comic shop. Yes, I met him at a convention, and I, and uh, we ended up shopping at the same store in Glendale, California. And and really, it wasn't just James that shopped there. A lot of guys shopped there, mm-hmm. like Steve Siegel shopped there, and uh, Brian Holguin shopped there. So it was like a little mini community of complicators creators that were all kind of mining the same territory of, of the same ilk, I guess you could say. And that's, and, and they were writing the books that I liked to read. They were the kind of writers that I admired. And so it was, it was easy to kind of fall into that crowd. And, uh, you know, as I was getting to know them, I was, you know, doing my own sort of black and white, no money comics, which I think everybody should do if they're, you know, if they want to do comics, they should just do comics. They don't have to wait for somebody to tell them to do it or to hire them to do it. You just do it. And 
so I just did it. And when they saw that I was one of those guys that was going to do it no matter what, that's when a guy like James generously generously said, you know, maybe I can get you a gig at Marvel. And mm-hmm. and so he did. What kind of stuff were you doing then? Because I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever heard of the like like. So what kind of stories were you doing? Did you find an artist? Were you? I did find an artist. I found one at San Diego. I mean, I you know I I, I guess I should preface that to say because of a of a friend that I knew as an art that was an artist that had uh, gotten the attention of oddly enough of uh, Rob Liefeld's studio when he was at Image. I got a gig doing like an eight pager or something at, at Image that they bought, and that was my first professional sale. And that was in '95, early '95. So um, that sort of provided me with just just enough sort of professional bona fides to sort of you know be able to come up to an artist and say, look, I you know I have like a smidgen of credibility, but I think you know we could we should do something together. And I found an artist like that, um, a guy named Mike Macropolis, who was a Zarek Grant winner, and we did a three issue series that eventually did come out through Caliber called The Harvest King which was this kind of black-and-white, very indie-minded comic about a guy who is visited by his future self, you know, and very, like, a very indie film kind of comic book, you know. But it was, yeah, it was all right. It was good for what it was. So that's, that's one of the things that I was doing that guys like James and, and Steve Siegel saw, you know, when I was working on it. Mm-hmm. And then from that, you, you did Cable? Is that... Cable was the gig that James got me at Marvel. Yeah, he he was writing that book, and then he uh, was going to give it up and brought me in ostensibly as a co-writer at first, or at least that's what he told Marvel. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I turned in the first script, he he left. You know, he's like, "All right, this guy can do it. I'm I'm out of here," which was very again generous of him. I still remember at the time I was a little bit concerned. I thought, well. You know, if once I finish out this storyline that James set up, am I am I going to be kicked to the curb? Am I going to get three issues of Cable out of this, and that's that's it? Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, that's obviously not how it turned out. They were seemed to be happy with what I was doing, and I just kept doing it. He's <laughs> just not. I was like, well, I I don't want anyone to see me. I'll just keep doing it until they call me. <laughs> kind of, kind of. I mean, and I guess the response to what I was doing was good enough that. You know, n- nobody was in a hurry to see me leave, and it's not like people were lining up to write cable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was a shock when James took the gig. People were like, "This is a this is a writer of real substance and does really critically well regarded work, and he's going to be doing this Marvel mutant spinoff. What the hell is up with that?" And uh, you know, James is one of those writers that really proves that it's about the quality of the writer, not necessarily the, you know, merit of the character. There are no bad characters. There's only the bad stories you can tell with them, you know. I mostly believe that. <laughs> I think it's mostly true. Yeah. I'd, I'd say it's enough, it's mostly true enough to be a truism you can, you know, you could take with you. So, well, so like, how much did you know about Cable at the time? I mean, because, because I was going to say, it wouldn't strike me as a giant Cable fan. I wasn't at all. I had knew nothing about the character, which I think can be good in those situations if a character has some sort of convoluted backstory uh, and you just say, well, what's he really all about? If somebody can sort of tell you the essence 
Mm-hmm. You know, soldier from the future here to save us from a apocalyptic, no pun intended, future. You know, mm-hmm. that's easy enough to grasp. It's enough to sink your teeth into and start telling some stories. And also, I was obviously a big Marvel fan. I was well versed in that universe, even if I wasn't quite up to date with the current continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it didn't seem like the readers were so crazy about that either. So I could go back and, and put Cable, team him up with the Black Panther and team him up with, you know, the Avengers or whatever I did that recalled, I brought in old villains like Masterman and, you know, the Tinkerer and just, it was a very old school kind of book. Mm-hmm. So it kind of worked on that level. I mean, yeah, you know, what can I tell you, man? 11 years ago, it worked out for me. <laughs> at what point, like, from doing that book, were you like, hey, this is going to work out, and you, you start doing more work? I mean, was it, like, an obvious thing, or did you just sort of turn around one day and go, shit, I'm doing this? Well, I, probably a few months into it, they flew and, and gathered all the X-Men writers, or, you know, that worked on the X-Men books and the satellite books, for a writer's conference, you know, in, uh, I think it was Long Island. <laughs> uh, in the dead of winter in February, which is pleasant, but uh, that's when I figured they, you know, I was going to be around. And from that that meeting, tons of editors at that at that writers retreat. I I met a bunch of them, and you know, a new writer, as anyone who can pay attention to the industry, a new writer pops up and gets any notice from one company you can be sure that he's going to pop up in about, in about four other companies within a year writing all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. because everyone says, oh, here's the, here's the new thing. Let's all get our hooks into them. You know, and you, to, the, to the writer, you could go down the list, of, even to this day. Jason Aaron is the first name that pops into my head when you say that. Jason Aaron, yeah, yeah. It's the same sort of deal. Jonathan Hickman's starting to, you're going to start, and Rick Remender's, you're starting to see exactly. those things. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's not a new phenomenon. Do you think it's any different now than it was then? I mean, that's what you know, twelve, thirteen years ago. So if you're a writer breaking in now, I mean, does it work basically the same? Or because it seems to me like there's a lot more competition now from people who don't necessarily work in comics, TV writers, other people coming in because they're trying to think of an angle to sell books. I think it's different in, in because the attention spans of everyone. It's faster. Look, I I broke in full time in late 1997. Okay, three years later, basically, I landed Superman and the X Men, two big franchises, two big companies, and I thought that was fast. I thought, oh my god, mm-hmm. I've been you know three years and I've I've sort of landed on these big books. Well, that happens a lot sooner now. Right. You know, a guy could you know pop into the business one year, eighteen months he's writing the X Men or some other big book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 machine, the conveyor belt, the assembly line, whatever you want to call it, runs a lot faster now. But that's just reflective of you know pop culture in general. You know, um, so I mean, it sort of, of creates this artificial peak, I suppose. You know, where theoretically those those are the biggest books in the industry, and sort of when you do them, then you've done them before, and what you know, and you move on. I mean, do you do you do you get that sense? Well, what sometimes? do you what do you move on to? You know, everyone yeah. has to make their own choice, but what they move on to. Um, and I've I've done it a certain way, and I'm sure these guys that are 
sort of in the in the light right now. We'll do it their way. Um, my feeling was always I grabbed those gigs when they came along because I felt like if I if I could build up my name and my you know dubious as it is reputation, that would enable me to do the kind of work that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's worked out to a certain extent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everyone will take that uh, challenge, will not take that opportunity. They'll, I'm sure there are guys that will just want more and more of the same, you know. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's, do the, let's do Marvel's next event, or let's do DC's big crossover, you know. And they just go from sort of artificial high to artificial high and you know that's fine too if that's if that's your gig if that's how you want to spend your time then more power to you you know it sounds a little to me like you're paraphrasing the uh the whole kirkman thing uh yeah but you know i you know i i I do side with kirkman on that argument but same time kirkman's 30 years old he's saying things that i was saying pretty much when i was 30 you know, it's sort of a, it's a, like a rite of passage that all comic book creators who are really thoughtful go through, which is they'll take a stand at some point in their career and they'll, they'll you know, they'll shout to the rafters that uh, here's what's wrong and here's what we need to do. Kirkman's doing it better than I did because he's actually in a position of power. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an image partner, that's a big deal. So um, I happen to think he's right in most of what he said, so mm-hmm. that that certainly helps the argument. But um, but it's not it's nothing new that he's saying. No, you know. But I was I was gonna I mean like I, I was I have this written down like to me you're sort of a, a poster child example of what he's talking about who somebody who did it before him more or less. Right. I mean, but you you still do you know stuff for well Jesus every company there is so. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. is the stuff that you're doing for for Marvel, for example, is that is that stuff that you want to do, or stuff that you need to do, or just a combination of the both? I think it's it's probably a combination. I don't know how much I need to do it. Mm-hmm. I uh, I want to do it. I, I I like the Marvel characters. I grew up on them. So when I get an opportunity to 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 play in that world, I'll do it. I, it's certainly my fortunes don't rise and fall with my next Marvel project, whatever that might be. And I, I don't have one at the moment. So that's kind of, for me, that's a good position to be in because I've never uh, tied my, you know, my livelihood to any one company. Um, possibly because I'm just distrustful enough of corporations in general to, to kind of drink anybody's Kool-Aid when they offer. I can make my own Kool-Aid. I mean, it's only sugar and water you know it's not it's not difficult so why would you drink someone else's kool-aid when you can make your own that's kind of been my philosophy and it's not a antagonistic one it's just it's just how i've decided to conduct my own career mm-hmm. and it seems to work for me i'm fairly happy but to interest the marvel stuff uh is great fun in fact here's a good one that i haven't talked about ever because it never came to fruition the, the the one project, I've pretty much gotten to write everything I've ever wanted to write at Marvel, which is, I, I'm happy to say, there's very few itches left unscratched, except for one that I that I pitched and, and didn't go anywhere. And, and um, I think it would have been something kind of nifty. 
maybe a bit too calculating now, but this was two years ago when I pitched this. I had this idea, and I forget what the title of it was, but it was an idea of, of um, a comic basically about the president of the United States in the Marvel Universe. And the president would be the central character. Now, two years ago when I pitched this, you know, we didn't know who it was going to be. We didn't know who was even going to be running against each other. But I figured with two years to kind of build up, you could at least formulate the series and, and, and make it so that when you found out who was going to... I mean, I had this whole plan about, you know, you do two versions of the comic, basically, where the artist would... basically, where the, where the president would be, you draw two versions. You know, in this case, it would, he would be drawing either... McC- he'd be drawing McCain and Obama. So it's to have the actual person because that's oh, the way absolutely. It works well how often do we see that in the morning mean, you know hey marvel your universe is what they always say right yeah. and we've seen george bush in marvel comics left right and center you know i mean he's he's, he's right there mm-hmm. we've seen you know they, they don't shy away from that which is makes them decidedly different from dc mm-hmm. so it's one of the reasons I, I that i think marvel always has that edge they're willing to do that so i was saying we'll really push it the twist was that it no matter who the president was or ended up, or ends up going to be, you play the character the same. I mean, the president in the series would be, in a sense, a cipher. You wouldn't bring in personal issues about, you know, uh, anything we know about these two guys at right. this point. You, you almost I, idealize the president, treat him as the star of his own superhero comic. But in this case, he's dealing with the rest of the superheroes in the Marvel Universe, dealing with S.H.I.E.L.D., dealing with, you know, whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually thought it was as, as bad, about as good a PR uh, opportunity as Marvel would ever have. And not only that, it's, it's, it would be good PR for the President of the United States, whichever he would be, because it wouldn't be a partisan uh, portrayal. Mm-hmm. It would be a, a real heroic portrayal, honoring the office and, and, and the responsibilities that are part of that office than it would singling out sort of the peccadillos of somebody's personality or, or what their, what their um, policies are. Because I had to make them all up. Because everything that we'd see in, that, in this particular comic book would be all Marvel Universe related. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, there wouldn't be anything about the credit crunch in, in, in this comic or even Afghanistan or, you know, uh, Iraq. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not, comic books aren't necessarily the place for that, but that idealized version of the president I thought was a worthwhile endeavor. Mm-hmm. One editor su- suggested, hey, do it at image, but it doesn't work as well at image. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it doesn't have the, the power that it would in, in a Marvel universe with recognizable characters you know, surrounding it. You know? yeah. Speaking of, about sort of your Marvel work, it seems like most of the stuff that you've been doing lately with the exception of the last defenders but sort of not it's all you do period pieces yeah that's what i'm starting to, to realize like it's exactly what they are the period pieces like is that is that more fun for you to do or you just don't want to get mixed up in the whole continuity of everything that's going on or is it just you like those time periods or well it's a lot of coincidence and and it's just sort of how it plays out i mean i did the avengers the first avengers first mighty heroes which begat um you know, first the Fantastic Four thing, which was a similar sort of thing. Uh, then I did the Avengers sequel. Then I did 
the Iron Man uh, Enter the Mandarin, which mm-hmm. is also a past thing. So, yeah, there's been a few. And, and before those, uh, Children of the Atom was before that. I mean, Children so. of the Atom, that's right. That's right. Yeah, good Lord. Yeah. So thanks for reminding me about that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I won't be doing any more of those because, I, you know, obviously I don't want to get you know, pegged as a retro whatever, but it was it's a lot of fun to work with the characters that you love in a in the time that you really loved them the most, mm-hmm. you know, or at least close to it. Uh, certainly more closer to their to what you loved about them than maybe their present day incarnations. Although, you know, I did uh, Iron Man: The Inevitable, which was a modern Iron Man story, and that worked out okay. You know, Last Defenders seemed to work out okay. So, yeah, I don't mind being part of the mix of continuity. I, you know, it's not something I'm afraid of or, or avoid. Um, it's just whatever the particular jobs that are in front of me, you know, require. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. Like, it must be so much fun to be like, no, no, this is the Hawkeye I would like to write. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just... Well, it's the only one that's around, really, isn't it? I mean... Yeah. No matter what you say, if he ain't wearing the purple and the blue, he ain't Hawkeye to me, you know. This is exactly the what Hawkeye, I'm The Hawkeye I know and love has gone through enough costume changes that he, he knows what, what he should be wearing, you know. I'm holding that hope. I, and I'm well, not one of those fans who's like, oh, he should be in his original thing. He needs to be Hawkeye. From, to I agree. And I, I should, I mean, I hesitate to get into it too much. I mean, I'm totally reacting to what I hear out there. I mean, this is, I'm not, I mean, I gotta be honest, I'm not buying or reading these books really mm-hmm. i mean i think the marvel books i read uh you could maybe count on one or two fingers at the mm-hmm. moment i read um i've read the initiative avengers the initiative i think it's a good really good book really fun i read uh miller and hitch's fantastic four mm-hmm. i think it's really good um and i think that at the moment that might be it really actually yeah uh yeah. You reading anything from DC? I read uh I'm reading Batman. Uh Grant's Batman I really like. Um and uh, you know, All Star Superman just ended, so that's I'm done with that. Um James Robinson's Superman I'm I'm reading, see where that goes. So there's a, there's a few in there. Now you, you, you know Grant Morrison, you're in the whole thing. When you're reading Batman R I P do you do you get it? Do you know what's going on? Um, I do to an extent, but I, you know, when I hang out with Grant, I don't necessarily quiz him on everything because I, I was, a, I was a fan of his first and I enjoy reading his stuff mm-hmm. on that level. Um, yeah, I have a few insights because of, because of conversations we've had, but, but, uh, I don't want to spoil the fun for myself. No. Yeah. Know? Well, it's funny because I think that with a guy like him, that f- the first couple if that kind of thing, like R.I.P., they made it was it was difficult because if you didn't know a lot of things, you had to go with it. But like, I think we're seeing now that it's it's working out. Like if you if you go with it and you give it time, like the last one made sense and it was it's fun and it's it's I I read those books and I I tend to question myself. I'm like, did I miss something? And and at the end of the last issue, it was all it was like, do you get it yet? And I was like. I don't think I'm supposed to know, but I'm worried that I haven't missed it. So, well, I, you know, what happens when I read that book? Even though I feel like I'm getting all of it, you know, when I just 
I don't know. I guess I sit there and I sort of wish that the um, art teams on the two Batman books were reversed. I'd love to see uh, Dustin uh, Nguyen drawing Grant's Batman. Mm-hmm. I think that would, uh, I think that, that, you know, it'd be a, I'd get a bigger kick out of that than, uh, from, you know, what we're getting at this point. I, you know, I think artistically also that, that um, three-part of the J.H. Williams did with the, you know, Club of Heroes and all that, that artistically, that's a high point in his run that hasn't been matched, you know. I mean, I wish J.H. Williams had been drawing all his Batmans, you know. What, what's funny is that, like, I'm looking at, I can, I can look at a list of guys, who you, who, artists who you've worked with. A lot of the guys who you worked with earlier are now bigger since then, and, like, there's a lot of big, like, you mentioned Dustin Gwynn, you you I you worked with him on, on uh, Wildcats. Right. Right, I mean, and like, is there anybody left who you still want to work with? I mean, are you out finding new guys still, or, you know, have you fulfilled those dreams? The guys I want to work with now, the guys that I would chase down and and, uh, and really try to make it work are, you know, not, I mean, I've never been, obviously, I'm not sort of seduced by the A-list, mm-hmm. uh, and those guys probably wouldn't want to work with me anyway, so it kind of works out. Um I've been talking to, uh, I met him in San Diego. I've been a big fan of his work. I've been talking to him about doing something. An artist named Nathan Fox, who just did uh, the Pigeons from Hell miniseries uh, at Dark Horse. I think that guy's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely not the most mainstream artist, but we'll, we'll, I don't give a shit about that anyway. I, he's, he's great, and I want to work with him. Mm-hmm. So a, a guy like that, I would... I, sort of gravitate towards as opposed to, I mean, you know, I think uh, Andy Suriano on Charlton Balls, uh, that stuff is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, if you're coming from a Marvel and DC world, his stuff may be a little outside the box, but, you know, works, well, see, works I, fine for me. I would have thought that is that, you know, you worked with Sean Phillips for a long time, and, and here's there's a guy who, when I was looking at his art, I wouldn't have thought that he'd have been mainstream like really that successful in it, but then you know Marvel Zombies. Well, exactly. I mean, that's 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 great for Sean. And I, I I will say, I had to fight to get him onto Wildcats because mm-hmm. because no, my editors at the time didn't exactly see it that way either. I mean, they didn't. He'd done uh, Hellblazer was sort of the most substantial body of work he'd had in American comics, and uh, people just thought, well, this is the guy that's going to follow Travis Charest. I mean, that's that's an odd pick, but. You know, I, I I feel like I got a pretty good eye. Again, I'm not concerned about the uh, sales that uh, any given artist will bring to a book. I'm just I want to work with good people. You know? A lot of people, I think, especially even back then, even more, would look at a book um, like Wildcats that had Sean Phillips on it and immediately think, "Oh, this isn't the style I want to see." Mm-hmm. But like over time, you actually get to appreciate it. And now, I mean, Sean Phillips became one of my favorite artists. Yeah, you know, partially because of that. And, and obviously, then he goes on to be. I know what you're saying. I, I, I but and uh, I guess I do agree because I feel like the comic books that mean the most to readers, you know, if you want to talk about favorite runs or classic runs, uh, are rarely about either one or the other, some superstar coming in and you know, uh, you know, being a star on a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always, they kind of bubble up from the underground, you know, I mean, uh, and, uh, and that's the way they should be, 
You know, it shouldn't be. Um, I mean, look at this Miller Hitch Fantastic Four run. It's, I guess you could say it's sales-wise, it's sort of the upper range of Marvel's mid-tier titles. Mm-hmm. It sells perfectly well. I mean, I think anyone should be proud of those sales. But maybe it's not the blockbuster that they thought it might be. Certainly not the blockbuster that Ultimates was, mm-hmm. or Ultimates 2. Um, but I think it's a good comic book, and once it's all said and done, the sales won't matter. That run will stand up, and, and you can go back and, and read it and have a good time with it. And, and you know, history will prove what what what's really, you know, I don't know, classic, if you want to use that word mm-hmm. or not. And I, I think you're right. I think that has to do with maybe maybe it's going to come more from guys that you might not expect. Well, it's, it's sort of readers getting over their preconceived notions, I guess. Yeah. That's what I probably meant to say. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, if you think about it, like I'm imagining when people first saw Bill, Bill Sienkiewicz's work, they weren't like, this, is, this, is, this changes everything. They probably thought, what the hell am I looking at? Like, yeah. across the board. Sure. Now, you know, now in hindsight, obviously. So when, when you sort of started out, trades weren't that big of a deal. Are you thinking about that more, a lot more now than you were originally? No. I, n- now I think about it even less because really? with, my Im- with my image stuff, it, it, it's a foregone conclusion. They want the trades to, to happen, so you, it just, it's just part of the whole process. And at Marvel, they tend to collect everything anyway, so you also don't have to... Everything I've ever done at Marvel uh, in the past five years has been collected. Everything. You know, and uh, and again to go back to what we were talking about earlier, when I first started at Marvel, it was the first trade collection I ever had at Marvel was the Children of the Atom trade, and that was a good four years after I'd started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, now again, you could break in at Marvel and and the first things you ever write for that company could are probably going to be collected in trade. If you if you happen to land on a series or launch a series, I mean especially, you can almost guarantee it, you know. But uh that's a bizarre notion. I was thrilled when I found out that the first six Wildcats that Sean and I were doing was going to be a trade. It was I was a, it was a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. I thought, "Oh my god, you know, I'm going to get, you know, a trade paperback collection of this these these comics that I'm really proud of." Um, and you know, subsequently, the fact that the the last twelve of of Wildcat 3.0 have not been collected is kind of the other side of that, which is still inexplicable to me. Well, you know, I've got. I mean, I've got that question on here about about Wildcats because it for me it's one of those series that sort of very unceremoniously ended before its time. I mean, yeah. can you can you talk about what happened with that, or, or I mean? Do you still have no, the story? Nothing to say. I mean, back in the di- back back then, uh, the sales pla- plateaus, I guess, uh, or the sales levels they wanted to achieve, we ultimately fell below that level. Uh, I don't know. There's not many Wildstorm books right now that launch at the numbers that we were canceled at. Mm-hmm. So it's just you know it, it is what it is at the time that it happens, and you know it's. That's part of it, you know. I, I, you, you can't throw a tantrum about that stuff because it's just, if you're going to take a chance with, with material that you're doing, that's the chance you're taking, that it might not connect with a big audience. And if it doesn't connect with a big audience, then you might not have those sales levels that 
publishers are comfortable with continuing. Mm-hmm. You know, were sales going down on that book, or well, they were ticking down, but you know, just like everything right. ticks down. But I mean, here's the other thing too. Wildcat's uh, version 3.0, the first issue. I think I don't know what I remember if I remember right that we launched like forty thousand for a mature reader's title. Jesus. That's not bad, and and it sold out too. But but this was before the the sort of hype machines of both companies really kicked in. So there wasn't really. I mean, when something sells out now, you hear about it. Mm-hmm. Back then, it wasn't. No one leapt to you know to, to their to their press release generators and said, "Oh, let's get the word out because that'll, you know, it's just another marketing opportunity for for this series." So, the book sold out. First issue sold out, and and nobody knew. You know, was that was that a big uptick from the end, from the end of volume two? It was a big. I think yeah, yeah, we, yeah. It was a big uptick, but it had to do with being a new number one and. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's so funny too. These things that, you know, you kind of remember. I mean, Wildcats, for whatever reason, I think was the... And these things do matter if you if you pay attention to the business at all. They did this Eye of the Storm launch of these. I think there were like four books in a miniseries that were the initial launch. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering right, Wildcats was, I think, the last book to launch, um, which was a mistake. I mean, if Wildcats is the... Is the uh, is the um, flagship title of Wildstorm, which is kind of named after, uh, I think it should have been first out of the gate, mm-hmm. you know? So little things like that kind of happen, you know, in this business that you sit there and you go, well, that's kind of a head-scratcher, but, you know, que sera, sera. Do you, I mean, do you still have the end of that story kicking around? Do you, does it suck that you never got to tell it? or? It, uh, it, I, I got over it, <laughs> put it that way. Can you repurpose any of that stuff? Like, do, uh, no, I don't. Do, I don't tend to do that either. No. That that's kind of it's kind of hacky. It's kind of. I did that once, mm-hmm. and it didn't really pan out. And I kind of vowed. I said, "Oh, this is not. That's that's not the way to go with these things. Just to kind of take a story and change the names, and you know, mm-hmm. do it somewhere else. And it doesn't ever really work. <laughs> kind of hacky. Kind of hacky. Hey. Everybody's got to make a buck. What do you want? Well, um, I make my bucks the old-fashioned way. I take a lot of work for a lot of different people and just grind it out, baby. Are you are are you like a guy who who's pretty meticulous about his plotting and everything, or do you sort of get your general idea and just write the script and go through it? Well, it's you know, I've worked a long time to be able to kind of let it fly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 like uh, you know playing a musical instrument. I mean, you, you practice and you work at it and you work at it and work at it until it comes natural. And once, once the fundamentals come natural, even beyond the fundamentals, once, once you really get good at it, then you can really start to have some fun because you don't have the pressure of just learning how to do it or figuring out how to do it. So the past few years, it's, it's been fun. I mean, you know, I just, kind of sit down and just sort of improvise, you know, I mean, aside from sort of basic structural things, which kind of, kind of become second nature anyway, if you've done it long enough, mm-hmm. you can just have fun with it, you know? 
going back, how do you look for artists now? Do you just pick up like a copy of every new book that comes out from everything and look through all that stuff, or you know, do you scan the web? Because I'm always amazed at at guys like you, and and there's other guys who who sort of find these artists that I can't imagine even having time to be aware of all of them. Well, some of them. I mean, depends on on the situation. I mean, everybody that I've worked with, or most everybody that was new that I worked with at Wildstorm, were put forth to me as like, I mean, they said, hey, this guy, we got this new kid, Dustin, who loves Wildcats. And I was skeptical at first. I was like, I don't know. And that worked out great. So, you know, good for them for, for pushing them on me. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Giuseppe Calancoli on, uh, on uh, The Intimates. Um, it's somebody that they knew of, and I had seen his work, but I hadn't really thought about working with him. And they said, how about him? And I thought, oh, well, that might work, and it worked. It worked pretty well, you know. Uh, Tom Shirley on Goblin, I that's all credit there goes to uh, Eric Larson. Mm-hmm. You know, Eric Larson put us together. Um, uh, Andy Soriano on Charlton Ball, he was working in the, he works in animation, so I kind of met him through that field. Mm-hmm. So they come from all over the place. I mean, I'm working with a couple of new guys now that I met at the at the convention in San Diego. They came up to the booth and were peddling their wares and I saw something that I liked and, you know, get in touch with them and say, hey, let's let's do something together, you know. So that actually so works, it, huh? It can work, yes. Dreams do come true. I mean, That's... the downside of it is that you have to work with me, but the upside is you'll you'll probably get published if that's what you're after. Well, if you, you work know? with you, eventually you'll probably go on to work with Ed Brubaker and start making real money. Well, if, you know, if that's what you're into. <laughs> um, you mentioned animation, which which made me think of, of Man of Action, which is, I mean, it's it's a production company. At one time, it was sort of a more nebulous collection, collective, right? I mean, how would you, yeah. what, is, is that what it is now in a, a production company? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a studio, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, because we, you know, not only do we, you know, create things, and, you know, I mean, we're, uh, there's you know Ben Ten, and then we're working on something new at Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do consulting for other, and we do sort of script doctoring and story editing, and um, we've worked with everybody from. We've had a gig with uh, 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 Animal Planet over the summer. Mm-hmm. We we're working with them on a show that was not animation, but they they wanted a certain take on. Uh, the material they were working on, and they they felt like we had the right uh, background for it. So that kind of work, which is the kind of stuff you'll never really hear about in the comic book press, but that's all stuff that we that does take up some of our time at this point. You know? Is that taking up more time now, or is I'm just it's taking up it, no, it's taking up the 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 right amount of time for okay. what for what we're doing. It's not it's not overwhelming anything else. In, in fact. It's 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 funding a lot of things in a way. I mean, the the this sort of you'll see a lot of books coming out of Image from uh, all the Man of Action guys. Uh, they're coming out now, and they'll they'll continue next year. And the work we do, sort of outside comics, the sort of the Man of Action stuff, uh, is a big component of, of allowing that stuff to happen or, or facilitating that stuff. Which sort of goes against the Kirkman thing. Because well, I mean, if you if you if you're doing all the not, you know, his point is you can support yourself on creator own work, but you know, maybe. I don't well, know. but I mean, you know, this is it's that's a different story. I mean, mm-hmm. 
you know, you if you have but one aspiration, I suppose. But yeah, I, I, I you know, again, I, I, I'm coming at it from a different perspective from Kirk, but only in that I'm a few years on from him in this business. You know, mm-hmm. I've sort of been through the 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 phases he's going through right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, I stuck to my guns on certain things, and, and it paid off for me. So, you know, we each have to travel our own path, my friend. Wise words. Thank you. Uh, when it, well, when it comes to something like Ben 10, which is, which is sort of a big deal, uh, I mean, is it all four of you guys? It's four, right? It's yeah. you, Joe Kelly, Steve Siegel, and Duncan Rulo. Right. Like, are you all involved in that on a on a like on on a day to day process, or is it more on on Ben Ten? Yeah. On Ben Ten, we're we we they've kind of taken the ball and ran with it. We get consulted on certain things, but mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's uh it's in good hands. Let's put it that way, not ours. But it's in good hands, and we're happy to see it uh, have a life because that gives us the ability to go off and and create a new show for them and do other things and. You know, it's all about. I mean, if if we were locked into any one thing, I mean, it takes a lot of energy to to uh, be a showrunner on an animated series sure. or even a story editor. That would that would be a significant amount of time. Take that would take a lot of time away from other things that we are interested in doing and and want to do. Like looking over the projects that you've got going, like literally, you're working. I can't like you're you're working for every company almost. Yeah. I mean, devils do. Image, IDW, there's there's a lot of stuff. Like, are you, are you just is just a lot of works coming in, or you're you're throwing out a lot of things? How do you keep track of all this stuff? Is it hard to do this many projects? Or if I didn't love it, it would be hard. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the only way to describe it. I mean, I, I'm, you know, you're doing what you love, you follow your bliss, and everything seems to work out. <laughs> um, it doesn't. It it it's a lot of stuff, but you know, it's not significantly more than I've ever that I've had in the past. I mean, there's times where I've had six or seven things going on at one time and, and I'm a grown man. It's about time management. You just do what you got to do to get the job done. Uh, I'm a professional writer. I don't sit around and wait for the muse. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You work, you you get up every day and you sit at the keyboard and you pound it out, you know? Um, and then eventually the stuff gets done. Do you have? Right. I mean, do you have like a routine, or are you sort of past that? Or like, I write from you know nine to twelve, and you know. I have a routine as much as I can have one. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a hectic time because, uh, you know, the, with the man of action stuff, there's always a lot of meetings. There's, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of, the cliche in, in a way of what you would picture for somebody who lives in Los Angeles is is kind of semi-plugged into the entertainment industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a lot of running around, and you have to make time to be able to sit for, a, a, you know, a good stretch to be able to get some stuff done. And, I, you know, I work a lot at night and stuff, but, it's, you know, there's it's nothing to complain about. I mean, it's it's how I wanted to have a it's, – it's the life I wanted. It's kind of what I'm trying to say. Out of all this stuff, like, is there, is there fun stuff that, that's coming up? Well, I'm ex- I mean, I'm excited about all of it. It's going to be cool, you know, uh, to work with uh, Ashley Wood again on World War Robot. That's going to be some fun, I think. The working on Velocity right now with Chris Cross. Chris Cross is an artist that I've loved for many, many years. Always wanted to work with, and now I'm getting to work with him. So that's that's a kick, just on that level. What's what's Velocity? Velocity is this chick for speedster, part of the Top Cow universe. Okay. 
Oh, that's uh, the the uh, the pilot season one. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Triumphant winner of pilot season two thousand eight, <laughs> uh, or two thousand seven. I forget when these things are. I guess two thousand seven. That's when it was. Yeah, because I feel like the the so that book hasn't come out yet. No, but the, they just the, first, the, the, the second... pilot issue. The pilot season issue right. did with that Kevin McGuire drew last year, and people voted, and lo and behold, Velocity got the gold. Yeah. <laughs> you sound very I know. <laughs> I won. I beat everybody. Yes, yes. I hold my head high. And then let's see. Um, there's a, I'm doing. Uh, there's the Code Flash hardcover that's going to collect, collect, and and recolor everything, and it's going to be sort of a definitive deluxe edition, and Charlie Adlard and I are doing a new story as part of that collection. And you you published that way back with, was that with Funkatron? Or did well, Robert... it, was, it was originally an image. Right. We did five issues of this double anthology at Image. Then we did three issues of it at Kirkman's company. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we did the collection with AIT, a black and white collection, uh, and now we're going to do sort of the you know the ultimate collection at uh, at Image. I uh, kind of full circle back to Image, back in color. You know, release the hounds. You're you're literally like I'm unable to pin you down because I'm looking at these. I'm trying to draw a thread between your projects and I can't because between Youngblood and Godland and and these other projects and and I'm I'm li- I'm looking at a copy of Crash Bastards in my hand right now. Like, yeah. do you just have ADD? What's going on? Well, it's, I'm just trying to have a little fun, man. You can't uh, blame a guy for that, really. <laughs> Are it's you, not, like, I, consciously aware of, like, do you want to make sure you don't get into a rut? I'm in a position now where I'm able to, again, that comes from the years I spent in the trenches where I'm at this position where I can say, well, I'd like to do a, a manga and I'll have Image publish it. And Image goes, all right, we'll we'll take that shot, you know. And uh, that's a great position to be in because it allows, it's really, I mean, you want to talk full circle, it's back to the fantasies that you have when you're still an amateur and you think, wow, it's going to be great to you get in the business and you're going to just be able to do everything you ever wanted to do. But when you get in, you, that's not altogether true at first. I mean, you've got to play the game and, and uh, play nice politics, whatever. But if you persevere, eventually, if you maneuver the waters correctly, you can get to that point where you get this tremendous freedom. Now, having said that, obviously, everyone knows the image deal. It's no secret. You go in, it's like doing spec work. I mean, there's no money up front. It's all back end. But I don't mind uh, gambling on myself, you know, betting on myself. that's, That's the safest bet I could make. Because I know what I'm going to do. I know what I can see through. And, I, you know, those guys at Image, uh, they, as I've earned their trust, I hope, they've earned my trust. And it's a good, uh, it's a good partnership, I think, you know. And it's certainly the best deal in town. On top of that, to have the most freedom there, to do the kind of, you know. I mean, Crash Batch was a, was a one-off. I'm not going to, you know... This, uh, inundate everyone with like my kooky manga. If you're a guy who's, I mean, you can take that, you can take that 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 bet at Image, and and you want to start a project, and and you you find an artist you want to work with. Do you end up paying that guy? Because I mean, for an artist to work full time on a book and have it come out regularly, who's who's supporting that guy most of the time, or do they have to wait until the back end? 
Well, I work with, you know, I try to work with adults. I'm nobody's mommy. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I'll give you an example. Charlton Ball, uh, I mean, I think we announced it like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a long time because Andy was working in animation and, you know, obviously he wasn't going to just abandon making his rent just to do this book, you know. I mean, he had to, he had to fit it in around his other things. Tom Scioli fits in Godland. Tom Scioli's a machine, which is why mm-hmm. he's really good at it, but he, he fits it around a full-time job. Um, the, the guys that, I've, uh, that, I, that I met in San Diego that I'm going to be working with, these are guys that want to break in. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving them that opportunity to, to, to get into print in a, in a very substantial way. So that's the leap that they take, Okay, you know. It's the same leap I took when I tried to break. I mean, the, the, the black and white book that me and uh, Mike McCropolis did, we didn't get paid for it. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to do it because we wanted to make comics. You know? And if you, if you want to make comics, you'll make those sacrifices. I've been reading a lot lately you know, that this is the time of the graphic novel and, and, and you know, people are looking at them. and Horseshit. Is it? Yes. Okay, well, the, I mean, as my, is this, like, the great time to be in comics? Or, or I mean, because when you, you started, it was a shitty time to be in comics for all Very much so, yeah. And certainly, you didn't, uh, I, I never considered comic books were going to be a stepping stone to anything, or even regarded as, you know, anything you could uh, build a career on other than doing comics, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, it's certainly different in that respect. But in terms of the, you know, this is the time of the graph novel, eh, it's a good time for the medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether or not, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm one of those guys that if I see a trend, I'll, I'll be the first guy to completely go against it, you know, because I just feel like uh, it's not my gig to follow the trends that are going on. By the time you, you sort of can get something out that you think is following that trend, that trend is over. So it's a pointless it's a pointless exercise. It doesn't do anything for me creatively. So the kick that I get is going, all right, well, what's in vogue right now? I'm going to do the opposite of that and see what happens, see where it takes me. So, well, if if, if this is the time of the grapnel, then I'm I'm very committed to, you know, uh, I could say monthly comics, even though sometimes they're not always monthly. But you know, the the comic the classic comic book format, you know. Uh, uh, you know, twenty-something pages of, of of story and art stapled together and put on the racks. You know. Do you think that all of, uh, I mean, all the attention? Like, it's it, it doesn't seem like I have to go that far in, in a comic book publishing publishing to to get like a film option. Mm-hmm. Now, like, do you, like is that a good thing for comics, or is that is that helping a lot of people get by, or is it is it people making comics just to make movies, really? Like it wasn't a stepping stone now, but now before now it feels like it is. I think uh, if you want to make a movie, make a movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, if you if you want to make comics, make comics. I've done it. I've done them both. So I, you know, I, I'm maybe not the best guy to judge. I mean, I've I, on every level of the spectrum. I've worked on big selling franchise books. I've done really you know low selling creator own books. I created a, you know, co-created a cartoon show that went on to be a big success and a lot of toys and all that sort of pop cultural, you know, penetration. I've also, you know, done projects that uh, were really small scale, you know, that, that uh, you know, maybe you'll see, maybe you won't. 
But I think anyone, you shouldn't confuse uh, the medium that you love with something else. I mean, if you count on some, somebody optioning your comic as a means to make a living, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment, I think. You know, because that's calculation that even in Hollywood they can smell a mile away. You know, <laughs> uh, I, you know, it just. Right, yeah. What else can I say? I mean, I think it's you know, if you love comics, make comics. If you love movies, make movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and the day. I mean, I, I'll admit the danger is, and we hear it all the time living here, that comics are the hot thing in Hollywood right now. And if it's it, you know, that some some people are more uh, inclined to read a comic book than a screenplay. Now mm-hmm. that's scary. Yes. That's scary. When people in the film business are abandoning the very core of their business, which is, you know, a screenplay. So one could make the assumption, and, and there's, there's been rumors, speculation, if you will, that if you look at projects like, uh, like Charlotte and Ball, you look at, at things that are really out there like, like Godland. Um, you mean that, things I've written? Yes, that you've written. Oh, okay. um, that they're... S- substance influenced. You you've been talking about drugs. That yeah, that's I was yeah. How do you like? What do you say to like? Are 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 you are you a crackhead? Am I a crackhead? <laughs> Would you even know where to get crack? I don't quite know where to get crack. If there, if there's somewhere in Tarzana you can get crack, I haven't uncovered it yet. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just put it this way. I I I certainly walked on that side of the street uh sometimes i've laid down on the sidewalk <laughs> but uh you know it, it, i'm not quite sure what, how, how to respond other than um you know the work especially the creator own work is certainly a reflection of of myself on, in certain ways and and reflection of my interests mm-hmm. I'm trying to be. Well, let me, let me, let me. I mean, when you look back at at, at you know history, we look at the stuff that Jack Kirby and and Steve Ditko did. I'm like, oh, that stuff was was whacked out and crazy. It was about the '60s and drugs, but really, there were not two guys who were less like that. Right. Um. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, look. You know, they they can serve a purpose. I, you know, you certainly can't do as much work. As a as a real comic book professional does, if you're blotto all the time, and I'll, I'll say that in my own defense, um, you know what's interesting, not to change the subject, but when you bring up uh, Kirby and Ditko, and even Stan Lee, those guys, even all those guys from uh, the Marvel of the '60s, the you know, the Gene Colans, the John Buscemas, um, those guys that have been working for years. Decades. Yeah, decades, yeah. That's, to me, the great hope, you know. I mean, I don't necessarily think the comic book is a, is a, uh, is a, is youth obsessed in their creators. Uh, obviously not. I mean, a lot of the top guys are, are so old, they've lost their hair, you know. I mean, these guys are hundreds and hundreds of years old. <laughs> um, but the real promise out there is that who are these guys, you know, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, 
like you say, they'd worked decades in the field. Uh, you know, by the 60s, these guys were in their mid-40s. And yet, at that point in time, after working in the trenches for as long as they did, these guys, out of their heads, came up with the Marvel Universe. That's about as inspiring as it gets for any creative person. You know, that, that, that you can have that kind of epiphany uh, in your work at, at that age. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. Because it usually you could, you could equate creativity with, you know, youth and, you know, like, you, you know, they say musicians do their best work in their 20s, you know, I mean, it's going back to the Beatles and all that stuff. And that's valid to a certain extent. But uh, in comics, that's the one that defies that paradigm, I think. That's the medium that can defy that. Mm. Uh, I would even say you could even argue that movies, you know, if you, if you follow directors, that most directors' early work is always considered their best work and that they sort of drop off from there. Mm. Uh, but man, that, that, that whole idea that you can start out in, you know, 1940, just kind of doing your work and keeping your head down and, and staying out of trouble, and then 25 years later, you can create the Marvel Universe... Uh, that's pretty. That's a pretty good endorsement that comics can be a lifelong endeavor, a, a real lifelong creative love affair. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and luckily it's it's different now, so that what happened to Jack Kirby doesn't really necessarily have to happen to. Yes, absolutely, else. and now, and of course now it's also different in the sense that I don't know if anyone's going to come along and create something and have that kind of impact that the Marvel Universe had, although you can't say for sure that it won't happen, which is always the interesting thing, you know. Um, you know, we don't know, I mean, to go back to Kirkland, we don't know ultimately what the life of The Walking Dead is going to be over the next 20 years, mm-hmm. whether it's going to be <laughs> movies or a TV show or, or whatever. I was picturing literally Bill and Ted's uh, Wild Stallions. <laughs> Like, like in twenty years, the entire philosophy of the universe will be based on Walking Dead, <laughs> and then and Robert Kirkman will be revered such the point that they will actually have to go back to the point where he posted a video in two thousand eight, and George Carlin will have to interfere. Oh my God! Yeah, and George Carlin, I mean, he'd have to be zombified to be effective at this point. You know? This is what I'm saying. It all ties together. Well, it 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 just got weird. Yes, thanks a lot. It thanks all to you. Kind of weird. It just got weird. There, there literally couldn't be a better place to stop because it could only get worse from here. You're right. You're right. And I'm really coming down off this buzz, and I got to replenish it. So, I, I think you're full of shit. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're playing your little character again, and because because you think Grant Morrison's cool doing it. I think that's what's <laughs> happening. Here. Uh, Grant is cool doing it. He is cool <laughs> doing it. But I still have my hair. And that'll do it for another episode of Talk Explode. I want to thank Joe Casey for his time and for hanging out with me for a little while. If you want to comment on this show, get over to ifanboy.com. There'll be a thread about it, and there's all sorts of other great stuff there, so make sure you check it out. Thanks, and we'll talk to you later. Later.